Right. Uh, my topic is worship and suffering. So what I'm going to do is start with a disclaimer, then talk a bit about biases, then we're going to look at uh, Philippians because I'm taking most of the verses I'm talking about from that because they're all in the same letter. It's easy to jump around and pick out verses here and there. And if we're not careful, we can then pick verses to support the view we want rather than looking and seeing what scripture is saying. And then I want to finish with some applications. Uh, so anyway, the disclaimer. For, with a topic like this, there's so much which could be covered. So some aspects I'm going to miss out completely. Others I'll just skim over the surface. But I'm happy to follow up any aspects, whether I cover them today or not, either with you one-to-one, -one, or if there's a few people who want to talk through some of these things more deeply, I'm sure we can organise something to do it on Zoom or whatever. So if you think I've missed out what is, to you is the important issue, my apologies, but I can't cover everything, and I'm probably going to go over my official time anyway. So that's the disclaimer. Secondly, biases. I think this is the kind of topic when we're talking about suffering and worship in suffering, which tends to bring our assumptions, culture and biases to the fore. So if you disagree with what I say, is it because your biases are different from mine and therefore the way you look at things are different to me? So to help you navigate this, I'm going to tell you about a couple of my biases. So you uh, know some of the things which will be at the back of my mind as I'm talking. The first is uh, the culture I was brought up in. My parents uh, belonged to the Church of England and we went to church every Sunday. So when we went on holiday, the second thing we did after first finding where we were staying and getting our luggage there was to go and find a church on Saturday afternoon or evening so we knew where to go on Sunday morning. And this led, to, uh, in some cases, particularly in villages, to some interesting experiences. So once in Cornwall, we attended a free Church of England, which, if you haven't come across it, uh, does exist, including in Ashford. Uh, and when we were on holiday in North Wales, all the churches were Welsh-speaking, so we ended up in a Welsh-speaking Baptist uh, service. Uh, and... Uh, they didn't ignore us totally. They did give us the biblical references in English so we could at least follow uh, some of what was going on. My second bias is that my primary way of dealing with a situation is to look at the facts, look at the scriptural teaching and apply that. Some people's primary way is to look at how they react emotionally to the situation. And our current secular culture will tend to emphasize the emotions. So if there's a conflict with our biases, we have the difficult issue of investigating whether our biases are seeking to override scriptural truth. Now for me, that means I need to give greater weight to emotions than I would naturally. Right, as I said, most of the passages I'm going to refer to come from Philippians. And so if you want to turn to uh, that letter in your Bibles, uh, do go ahead. Now, we know that when he wrote this letter, Paul was in prison. 
We don't know where he was. Uh, modern scriptural scholars tend to think he was in prison in Ephesus, although there's no mention of that in either Acts or uh, the other letters, but working it out from the context. It doesn't particularly matter. But he's in prison. It's not like when he was in prison in Philippi, where he got put in prison, there was an earthquake, and next day he was out. He's been in prison for a while. At one time, I think from what we can see in some of his other letters written from prison, he maybe was wondering, is he ever going to get out from here? Is this the end? So he's not talking from a writing from a situation where everything is going smoothly and well for him. He's writing in a situation when he's in difficulty and he knows the Philippians are in difficulty as well. So I'm going to start with chapter one at the end and verses 29 to 30 of chapter one. But can I encourage you, if you have time, to read the whole letter at some point, because you can then see how these different aspects get drawn in as Paul's writing. So Philippians chapter one, verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. Right, this is the first bit, which I think challenges the way we look at suffering. It's been granted to you. To suffer for Christ is a privilege. And that goes completely against the way our culture would look at things. Paul expands on this a bit later in chapter 3, in verses 10 to 11. So chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in, in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the, the dead. Notice here he, and in other places in scripture, Paul talks about sharing in Jesus' sufferings. I think within modern Christian culture, we tend to flip that the other way around and talk about Jesus sharing in our sufferings. And that we can relate, you know, we know that Jesus can relate to us because he suffered when we suffer. But here, it's much more than Jesus sharing in our sufferings. The privilege of suffering is that we get to share in his suffering. And in some way, we help to complete what he has already started. We become like him because he became like us. Now, Something like this and seeing suffering as a privilege and sharing in suffering is a lot easier to do when we know that the suffering is because of uh, us standing firm for Jesus. It's a lot harder when the suffering comes because people are making false assumptions about us because we're Christians. I've talked about that before. 
And I think it gets even harder when the sufferings are there just because, if you like, of life, because of the corruption in this world because of sin. If we can't see that our sufferings are in some way related to bringing the gospel and the gospel going forth, it's a lot harder to deal with. And I think we just need to recognize that and not, not diminish it, but equally not put it to as aside as if that's some kind of different suffering, as Paul will pick up later in this letter. But how do we respond in this sort of situation? Again, going on in uh, Philippians to chapter four and verses four to seven. So remember that in this, Paul has been talking about his suffering. He's been talking about their suffering. And when we get to chapter four and verse four, he says the following. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what we find here, and Paul repeats himself, he's saying in the situation you're in, you rejoice. Which again goes against a natural reaction if you're in suffering. Because our natural reaction if you're in a situation of suffering is to want it to finish, not to rejoice in it. But Paul here is picking up on or probably maybe it's more the other way around the writer of hebrews picks up on this same theme and it's something which i think lou mentioned uh, a couple of two or three weeks ago so this is one of the bits a bit further on in the bible from a different uh, book hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. we're talking about us running the race and it says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So therefore, when suffering comes, we can have joy in the suffering in the same way that Jesus did when he went towards the cross. And again, when we read scriptures, we know that going to the cross caused severe suffering to him, to the shedding of blood. No, so we're not talking about something which is sort of superficial, it's something which is deeper. So when we rejoice in times of suffering, it is showing to ourselves, to one another, to those outside, that the kingdom we belong to is not the kingdom of this world. Because 
if all we are Christians for is for what happens in this world, what is the point behind suffering? But if the kingdom we belong to is for this world, but beyond this world, then we can rejoice in suffering because we know this is part of the route of we are taking to God's glorious kingdom. And when we rejoice, it's not a case of we just say, okay, the suffering's here, we're just going to have to put up with it. Because as Paul says in this passage, you also get that we, when we uh, rejoice, we should also make our requests known to God. Now, that doesn't always mean that when we're in a place of suffering and when we make our requests known to God, that we find that that suffering goes. And we need to be very aware that suffering we experience is not a failure on God's part. The part of Hebrews I was reading from in chapter 12 goes on to talk about uh, God, Jesus, as he brings us on of disciplining us like a father disciplines his children and comments that discipline at the time does not seem pleasant, but it brings maturity and it brings growth. And when we deal with suffering, it is not pleasant. So we need to, again, recognize that, but also recognize that through that, God is doing something for the greater good. Even if we can't see it, even if we can't see how it possibly could. And Paul later in chapter four goes on to explain a bit further. This is from chapter four and verses 11 to 13. This is where he's giving thanks to the Philippians for having sent a gift to him. But he's getting himself a bit tied in knots because he doesn't want to make it sound as thanks for this gift at last. Uh, but, uh, you know, he doesn't want to sound as if he's a bit grumpy because I hadn't sent anything earlier. And uh, so, you know, the whole passage is a bit uh, him trying to get the right balance. But anyway, verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Just as a quick aside on this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, is a verse which is talking about dealing with difficulty and need as well as plenty. So I can do all things through him who strengthens me is not a verse 
which says that, you know, through I can change the circumstances and everything's going to be fine. It's that whether I'm in need and things are difficult, I can do all things for him who strengthens me. When I have plenty, I can also do all things for him who strengthens me. Now, I'm not quite sure why I did it on this passage rather than the others, but I thought I ought to look into some of the words a bit more detail. Because if you notice in the passage, Paul in the, I don't know what happens, it was a translation you're using, but in the ESV, he talks about learning in uh, twice. And I just had this niggle, is he actually using the same word? So what does he say first? He says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, the word he used for learnt here is the sort of traditional sort of word you would use for learning. You know, something you learn for experience, through teaching. And I think one thing which this does tell us is that being content, being able to rejoice in all situations is not something which comes to us naturally. It is something we need to learn. It's something you can only learn through experience. You know, you can know about it, but as with lots of things, it's only when you are going through it that you actually learn about being content in all situations. And the word used for content here is one which is often used by Greek philosophers and in general Greek usage, somebody who was content uh, was self-sufficient and not in need of help from others. But again, we can clearly see that Paul doesn't use it that way because he's saying he's content because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So I can be content in the situation I'm in because I know Jesus is looking after me and strengthening me. What in the ESV is translated as I have learned the secret in the original Greek is one word. And here the word in the Greek was much more the word which was used when somebody was initiated into a secret society and learnt the secrets of that society. So all now the commentators disagree a bit on quite whether Paul had that idea here. But there, however he used it, there is, if you like, an initiation into being able to face plenty and hunger, abundance and need. If you think there's something deeper in the Christian faith, which you need to learn, Paul is saying this is it. If you want to know the deep things of the Christian faith, it is knowing how to face plenty and hunger, how to be able to handle suffering and difficulty. It's not being in a situation where everything always works well for you. And I think the more we go, we 
grow in the Christian faith, often the harder it is to deal with suffering. It doesn't always get easier. Because when we're young in the faith, we often get protected. We're not exposed to so much difficulty. We're encouraged often by getting uh, fairly quick answers to prayer. As we grow in the faith, often we find we have to deal with longer term issues. Because the easier things have already got dealt with apart from anything else. And therefore, we're having to deal with things which can involve suffering. And we need to learn to continue in that. Again, going back to Hebrews and uh, chapter 10, verse 39, we have the following. So Hebrews 10, verse 39. But we're not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and preserve our souls. So when we come through difficulties, we continue. And through those difficulties, we are again showing the kingdom we belong to is not of this world, but is of something more substantial. Finally, towards the end of that chapter in verse 19, Paul says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So whether our need is to be able to keep going in suffering or whether it is to uh, enable us to come through it, we know that Jesus will supply all that we need. Now, you probably notice I've talked a lot about suffering and not a lot about worship in suffering up to this point. But I think it's necessary to do so because unless we have a right view of suffering, we can't respond in worship in an appropriate way. Because if our view of suffering is that it's uh, God's responsibility to get us out of suffering as soon as possible. We're not going to be able to rejoice in suffering. We want to be able to rejoice when we don't have any suffering, but when we do have suffering, we want to be able to rejoice as well. So how can we apply this? I think the first application, as I say, goes back to my first bias, really, and that's get into the habit of attending worship together every week. Obviously, we can't do that at the moment, but I think part of this series is and what we're do, trying to do in the preaching at this stage when we are having to do things by remotely is to prepare us again for the time when we can meet together. And as Lou said three weeks ago, repeated actions bring strength. So if you are in the habit of regularly attending worship and it's your normal activity, when you come into difficulty, when you come into suffering, it is that bit easier to keep keep the pattern going. 
if you only come in to join in worship when you feel like it, or you feel that you've reached some particular uh, criteria which makes you okay for going to worship, then it comes much harder when you feel that you are going through difficulty. I think then my comments on the next two have come out of discussing this topic over the years with various people going through suffering, trying to encourage them and hearing what they say in terms of things. I think one thing we need to remember is it's acceptable to cry during worship. Because if you're going through suffering, if you are worshipping, the two things are going sometimes to clash. There's going to be that why, Lord, why is it still like this now? Why haven't things changed? Those thoughts don't go away. Even if you're rejoicing and suffering, you're still having to handle those sorts of thoughts. And therefore, it's quite possible that you end up crying. One of the songs we're going to be singing later, about 15, 16 years ago, when I was going through a difficult patch i would often end up crying when i was singing that song so do we have expectations about how we ought to behave in church and say oh i couldn't go to church because i'd end up crying as if that's something wrong do we have do we feel we've got to be able to perform at a certain level to be there to worship Because we don't. We come as we are. Sometimes, even in the sort of one week to another, you could be one week full of joy and another week feeling very oppressed. And how you worship will vary. But don't get discouraged from coming because you think you're not meeting some sort of expectation. But I think the bigger problem, even when I've, when I've spoken to people quite happy handling that, often the bigger problem is how do you handle the other people in church? Or how do they handle what, what's happening with you? And I think this is the hardest thing to actually cope with when we're suffering. Or for those who aren't suffering and there's people suffering there. Again, for us, if we're not in a time of suffering, do we have expectations about how people ought to behave? And if we somebody isn't behaving in the way we expect, does that cause us to feel we've got to do something about it? Or does it cause us to feel that somebody's letting the side down by not appearing or happy and joyful? And do expectations we have make it difficult for people who are suffering to come? Of course, the problem with this sort of issue is there's no right answer. Because what happens if somebody is there in worship and they're crying? What would they want? Maybe the person just wants to be left alone. It's between them and God. 
maybe it would just be appropriate for somebody to stand next to them so then then they know they're not on their own maybe somebody in that situation would appreciate a hug maybe somebody like that would welcome somebody afterwards asking how they are or any of those could be entirely the wrong thing to do as i say there's no simple answers we're dealing with people people are in different situations they are responding differently so obviously the answer is not to do nothing because there's a risk you're going to get it wrong but we do need to ask for discernment from the holy spirit we don't we shouldn't just go necessarily with our gut reactions sometimes that's right but not everybody necessarily thinks the way we do we also need to remember that god knows our hearts so if we get it wrong he knows that we meant well so therefore we don't have to go justifying ourselves particularly to ourselves if we get it wrong we need to learn from the experience and uh importantly not step back from actually seeking to help people and again that's difficult when you know you've put your foot in it it's very hard sometimes next time because you're super cautious about putting your foot in it again that's human nature but you know let's not be so cautious we do nothing but let's look for ask for discernment so that we might know the right thing to do i know i've been in a situation where quite honestly you no know, i had people who were supporting me and on a sunday i would have been i was quite happy for nobody to ask me how i was and if they did ask me i would probably make some sort of yeah i'm fine okay because i didn't really want to get into discussion with anybody else on it at the moment at that time and then somebody came up said a few words and walked off but that was really helpful so even we don't know what we want half the time either so really we this is really where we need the holy spirit guiding us and helping us so that we encourage one another and we build one another up and you know very rarely but occasionally it might be necessary for somebody in the pastoral team or an elder just to ask you to back off in relation to somebody because they're getting support elsewhere and that there's a limit to how many people they can cope with if that happens you know it's not that again it's not because you don't care it's not because they don't care it's trying to do things in a way which is most helpful to that person at that time so to summarize and i'm sure i've gone on far too long now suffering is a privilege although it's not pleasant we share in Jesus' suffering as we become more like him. And we can rejoice in suffering for the joy set before us. 
which shows that our kingdom we belong to is not of this world. Suffering is not failure on God's part, but we stand with one another in suffering. So I think we're now going, unless Sam's got other plans, we're now going back to some more worship. So if Ian and Carrie are able to get ready for that. So let us rejoice. Whatever situation you feel like, and I saw on Twitter this week, somebody had posted one of these word things where, you know, uh, they take taken what words people say of what they feel like. And they've looked at four different times through the uh, COVID period over the last 10 months. And for the mo most recent one, the word which is biggest on the word picture is the word tired. I don't know if you feel tired, you feel weary or whether you're full of joy, whether the wind and the snow is making you excited or whatever. But whatever we're feeling like now, we can come and rejoice together in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So Ian and Carrie, over to you. <laughs> 